I don't know if you were here last week, but we uh, launched into a new season, and uh, I shared a, a message, um, maybe even a, a word that uh, was titled "Be Present." And um, interesting that that song available says, uh, "Less of me and more of you, God." And and that's really been kind of the the theme, if if you will, that that we're trying to create an environment and a place where we come to realize that if we would just get out of the way and give God more room in and through our lives, He would actually uh, have an opportunity to, to to change and transform and heal and restore people in ways we could never imagine, right. fathom, or think. And, and I think that's really the crux of this whole series is that when we're present, uh, it's not about being louder or quieter. It's simply about being present because as followers of Jesus, we are the light in which uh, he is dwelling amongst his community. Uh, we are carriers of his presence. The temple of God is no longer the only place in which his presence dwells. As a matter of fact, when he died and he rose again, which is the passion, it says that he breathed his last in the veil torn in two that kept the holy of holies separated from the people of God. And now they became the very, very carriers of his presence. And so I believe that as we learn and we lean in over these next few weeks, that what will happen is the light which is inside of you will begin to brighten. And the presence that he's trusted you with will begin to grow. And when you walk into a room, atmospheres will change. Like I could go over there and hit the little uh, up or down and change the temperature in here. And I believe that when you and I as followers of Jesus walk into a room, we change the temperature of a room. Not because of anything we've done, but just simply by making ourselves available to him. And as a result, his life and his presence absolutely without question makes a difference. But yet what I discovered that as we have been unpackaging this topic, and I've talked to many of you throughout the week, uh, it was interesting to me that as I read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, uh, over, the, over the past week or so, and I, and I looked at this from a different perspective than I ever had before. This was Paul obviously writing to one of his disciples. So, so as Pastor Katie said, our, our vision is that we would help you to know Jesus and discover God's purpose for your life. Well, our mission is to go and make disciples. And so... Paul basically teaches us how to do that in so many of his letters and so many of his moments throughout Scripture on how to effectively make disciples. And this is one of those moments where he's writing to encourage Timothy. He's writing to strengthen Timothy. He's writing to help Timothy to look up above the circumstance and recognize that God is still sovereign and he's still good and he's still in control. And it's interesting to me because when we read this text, we look at it and go, oh, well, that must have been really difficult in Timothy's time. But the truth of the matter is we can apply it right here, right now in our very time. And as we read this text again, it says this in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. It's interesting because somebody asked me a couple times this week, what did it mean by the last days? Well, it just simply meant everything that happened from Pentecost to the day that Jesus returns. So I know we live in a lot of circles and places and spaces where everyone is kind of stressing the end times, the last days. Well, let me just let you in on a little secret. We've been living in them. So how does that change the way in which you live each and every day? But yeah, here Paul is teaching and encouraging Timothy. He says that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Your translation might say perilous times. The, the translation of that actually might also say hard times. And it, it, it was interesting to me because that became a conversation starter. What, what kind of hard times are you currently facing right now? What kind of difficult things have you been experiencing in your life? 
What kind of perilous times have you been up against or been walking through that you honestly had have no idea what to do? And in some cases, you just feel like you're going around in circles trying to figure out a solution or you're just kind of chasing what you knew to do in the previous season. And obviously that won't work in the next season. And I just wondered if maybe just maybe there was anybody here tonight that might be struggling or might be dealing with some hard times, some difficult times. And if I could just for a moment challenge you as your pastor and as your friend, this is, it's okay to be honest. That's right. We don't have to put any facades up here. That's right. This isn't a church about who looks good and who talks the best and who's got it all together. That's not the kind of church we are. We're the kind of church where all people are welcome. Sick, broken, healed, victorious, winning, losing. It doesn't matter. Everyone is welcome here. And what I just hope by the power and by the presence of God is that it would soften you to the point where you would feel safe in a place to go, you know what? I am kind of going through some hard stuff right now. I, I got to be honest with you. I had a near-life death experience today. I was at the gym this morning, and I was warming up, and we were uh, doing these dumbbell bench presses, and I was just minding my business, and I was going about my warm-up like everyone else typically does, and all of a sudden, as I'm just laying there, doing my bench press warm-ups, the Jason program, all of a sudden I, I see Satan himself right above me in the form of a spider. And, um, and I thought, you know, listen, I'm going to overcome this fear. I'm going to be preaching about how to overcome hard times. And I'm thinking he's far enough away. I can get this 10 rep thing out of the way before he gets any closer to me. And, and you know, I'm just laying there and I'm just doing my thing, just watching him kind of slowly trickle his way down. And then all of a sudden I'm getting to like six rep, seven rep. And then he makes this massive jump. It was like all of a sudden this webbing came out of nowhere. And he just goes from like here to like here. And it was like above my face. And as you can imagine, I did what any strong, courageous, grown man would do. I dropped my dumbbells and I ran and squealed like a little girl. To which half of the people in this room were there to witness it and they saw the true colors of their pastor. I share that with you like it's kind of you know light and funny and cute. I just don't get along with spiders. I could just do about anything else. I could do snakes. Katie can't do snakes. So we go well together. She does spiders. I do the snakes. We go together. It's just the way it works. It's funny, but, I, you know, but the truth is, is that there are some spider moments in each of our lives that if we were just really honest with ourselves, we'd go, man, I had something similar to that too happen to me. Maybe it wasn't as silly as a spider. Let me just tell you, that thing was huge. <laughs> I mean, it, it was going to take my life and everyone else's life. So I did everyone a favor, and I ran so it would be scared, and it just went right back up. It was all, I mean, actually, I think Miriam walked over and just went like this and pinched it. But it was fine. It was fine. And then they had an altar call for me, and I got saved all over again, filled with, got set free. But, but are you dealing with any hard times? Like, you know, this, this text, it talks about hard times like this. Are we... Are we struggling with the love of self and riches? Is it possible that we're dealing with situations where we find ourselves more boastful and prideful? Have we been going through something that's been so difficult and so hard that, that we start scoffing at God? We start pointing fingers at him. We start almost to the degree in which we're like blaming him. Like, God, how could you possibly let this happen to me? 
Have we found ourselves disobedient in any way? This talks about being disobedient to your parents. I think it would be just as easy to say we've been disobedient in any case. Have we found ourselves ungrateful in any area or in any arena? Do we struggle to find anything sacred or have any value? Whether it be a relationship, whether it be a friendship. We found ourselves to be unloving or unforgiving to someone. Or worse, have you been unloving or unforgiving to yourself? Or maybe something that you've done or you endure or you walk through. Maybe that's the shame that comes with messing up. You find yourselves slandering others or blaming them, you know, like talking about them behind their back. Like, don't do that, right? Not us. Blaming them for maybe why things went the way they went. Maybe you struggle with having self-control over your words, over your actions, or over your desires. I had a moment of covetous this morning. Brandon texted me a picture of a Bronco for sale. I was like, you just got that thing and you're already selling it. There's people out here on these streets just giving their life away. Just, you just drive it by my house and drop it off. I'll be happy to drive it for you. Have you been cruel or hate the good in others? Like you get a little bit kind of tainted when you see God doing things in other people's lives. You start to covet, you start to envy. Have you betrayed a friend or a loved one? Have you betrayed their trust, their confidence, or their love? Or better yet, has somebody done that to you? Have you found yourself living recklessly at times, maybe been puffed up with pride, kind of looking at yourself in the mirror like, yeah, I am. Have you found yourself loving worldly and fleshly pleasure rather than loving God himself? Desiring the things of this world rather than desiring a real intimate relationship with him. Have you found yourself trying to act religious, but yet you still find yourself judging and condemning and even in some cases rejecting not only people, but the very power that makes us more like Christ? That's what Paul's saying here. These are the kind of hard times that we might all find ourselves in. I think if we were truly being honest, we could all agree that Maybe there has been some moments, or maybe we're dealing with some moments right now that are pretty tough. Or maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I know somebody, kind of like I'm here, I'm asking for a friend who's going through a hard time. What should I do? I don't know if it's, if it's a hard time that's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's financial, maybe it's within a relationship, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's in your own personal belief in yourself. Whatever it might be, my prayer tonight, my prayer of these next few weeks, is that as we learn to grow to become a present church, that along the way of doing that, we'd be able to confront whatever the hard times that we're currently facing. And for those of us who've been able to overcome some hard times, we might be able to learn how to be present for the people around us who are currently enduring and walking through hard times right now. That's my prayer. That's my hope. And I ask and I pray that you would just be really honest with yourself over the next few moments. Just reflect on your own life. 
And really, 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 really be honest. If you're dealing with a hard situation, a difficult thing in your life, my hope is that at the end of this, I might be able to pray with you and for you. And that God might meet you right where you are. It might start bringing healing and transformation to your life in ways that you've never experienced ever before. That's my prayer. So tonight, I want us to, I want us to, to lean into what God asked for us. I want you to open your Bibles if you have one. I hope you brought a notepad. If not, borrow your friend's shirt. Jack will let you borrow his. His looks like it's already got some good stuff on it. I think we're going to have to like make, public, like make one of those public. Stand up real quick, Jeff. Do you mind? Last week, all the kids got to take a Purpose Church shirt and make it their own. But on the back, it says, they've got my back. And all of the Purpose kids wrote their name on it so that when they wear it, they're reminded that my friend's got my back. Some of us do that. I need to get a shirt and just let all my boys sign it so I remember they got my back. Would you take a break for a moment? You don't have to, but you can. Sounds beautiful. I kind of feel like I'm in a lounge right now. <laughs> so last week we had this call to action that that that, that we're going to be a we're going to learn to be a present church. It, it was a word that was birthed out of a song titled "We Need You" by Ty Tribbett. Anybody go and listen to the album by chance? A couple people. All right, all right. Honesty is honesty is a good policy here. Uh, you don't have to, but if you do, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I can get down with just about any genre of music, even country now, because my wife is quite the country girl, and I'm okay with that. I'm here for that. Uh, but anyways, it was this song, and in it we recognize that Paul, as we just discovered, was writing to Timothy about these hard and perilous times. And we can honestly recognize that if it's not happening in our own life, we can at least recognize that it might be happening around our life. We can all agree on that. Amen. And so when we think about what it truly means to go through or endure or walk through hard times, what matters the most is not that we're a louder church or a quieter church. It's just simply that we learn and discover what it means to be a present church. And I've discovered that if we try to be a present church without Christ, we will tend to get louder or quieter. We will find ourselves uh, leaning into one side or the other. We'll be tempted by the worldly ideologies and agendas of, of man. And as a result, we'll find ourselves at odds with the people that we love. And I've talked to so many people that have struggled in this time, especially as we've been dealing with some really hard truths. And we've been uncovering some things that we thought were healed, but yet seem to be still very broken. And what it's done is it's divided people that were once running the same time, the same race towards the same end. And yet we still discover that deep down there's some unhealed truths, some unhealed hurts that would help us to identify and recognize that maybe, just maybe, we're still enduring and walking through some hard times. And so then as I was kind of praying about this message, and I really was like, is this a message? Is this a series? What I discovered is that in the midst of all of this, as follower of Jesus, uh, we're called to be present. And in that, what the Lord had really shown me is that in order for us to do that, to be present, we have to first acknowledge and name our hard time. We just got to acknowledge and name it. We got, we got to, we just got to be honest with ourselves. And then when we start getting honest with ourselves, we start to discover and realize that that we don't have to carry it anymore. We don't have to hold on to it anymore. It doesn't have to have a hold of us anymore. It doesn't have to keep us hostage or imprisoned to it anymore. But the only way to truly be set free from it, the only way to truly be healed from it, is to acknowledge it and name it. 
And then, and then we have to learn how to endure and overcome it. Which happens through the formation of being a follower of Jesus. That's really what it comes down to. Learning to practice the patterns of Jesus will help us to endure and overcome it. Because the closer we get to the light source, the more the darkness that exists on the inside of us is illuminated. And it has to do what? Flee. So the healing process isn't an up process. It's not a climbing the mountain process. The healing process is getting a shovel out and start digging and start digging. And as we get healed and as we go from strength to strength and we go from glory to glory, and as James says, consider it pure joy when you endure trials of any kind, that means you're digging deeper into the very root system that still might have some hurt and some pain that you didn't even know existed. Gosh, I just went through something a couple weeks ago that I didn't even know was still an issue. That's just the beauty of of following Jesus. But the closer we get to him and the more we walk with him, the more we discover that there's some things that need to be healed. There need to be set free that we don't have to hold on to anymore. And so we learn to endure them and overcome them. And then the third thing that happens when we learn to become a present church is we learn how to help others overcome their hard times. What we do is we become bold. We become we become disciple makers as Jesus commissioned us to be. And we go and teach those around us how to follow and obey his commandments. Not mine. This isn't the book of Aaron. This isn't giving you what I think you should do. This is hopefully teaching you the word of God that points you back towards him so that then you are bold and courageous in going and doing exactly what Jesus commissions to do. So our mission is to do what? Make disciples. Well, the process of being a present church is knowing who Jesus is. It's discovering that he has a purpose for your life. And then he wants to send you out on a mission to go make disciples. That's what we're trying to create here. And that's the process in which we'll be present. But more specifically, let me get down to the, to the brass tacks of it all. I think to do all of that, we have to learn three postures that will bring greater healing and clarity than we have ever experienced. I believe that these three postures will teach us and prepare us to be present. They are the, simply this, to be still. to be available, and to be ready. Like our youth department that's currently running in the back. Playing finger wars. It's cool. I see you. Be still, be available, and be ready. This week, I want to specifically take a look at what it means to be still. And before we do that, now that I've just kind of highlighted all these hard times, and I've challenged you to dig deeper and think about where you currently are in the state of your life. Before we do that, I want to remind you, church, I want to remind you, follower of Jesus, who you are. We learned this last week, and it was where we ended. I'm going to pick right back up there. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says this in the passage translation, but you are chosen treasure. You are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings, a spiritual nation, Set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. The original Captain Marvel. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. That is who you are. That is who we are. We are a church, not called to be silent or louder, but a church called to be present, broadcasting his glorious wonders throughout the world. How awesome is that? Broadcasting his glorious wonders 
throughout the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me in them to uh, 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. I know we are going way back. 1 Kings 19. And while you're doing that, don't, don't overthink this. I'm going to read to you a, a, a passage of scripture out of Psalms 46. And it says this in Psalms 46. Keep turning to 1, 1 Kings 19. You go there. I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going to meet you there, okay? Psalms 46 in verse 10 says this. Be still. Be still. Somebody say, be still. And know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation, and I will be honored throughout the world. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation, and I will be honored throughout the world. How? Well, through us. Through his present church. Broadcasting his glorious wonders throughout the world. What's interesting to me, when we do a little study on the words, be still, what we discover is this is translated this way. It means to relax. It's relax. Relax, man. Or chillax, man. It means to let go. It, it, it means to release. Or in some cases, it means to put your hands down. It means to withdraw or cease. I find that so amazing because we read about Jesus and he was often withdrawing to pray. He was being still. He was relaxing. He was letting go. He was withdrawing. He was letting his hands down. Or in other words, put, let your hair down a little bit. Shane can't do that. No. Nor can I. I'm trying to be like you. Paul says, you know, to the... Greeks are Greeks, the Jews are Jews, so the bald are bald. I'm with you, bro. Translated to mean, also can, it can also translate to mean weak. Not weak in like, you can't do anything, but weak in recognizing where your deficiencies are. Where there's gaps. Where there's misses. It's, it's just a way for us to recognize our weaknesses or the, a lack of strength and a reminder of who he is. And where our help comes from, where our strength comes from, where our hope comes from. How many of us don't have a tendency to hold on when things are going, when, when hard times come, when we face adversity, when we face some challenges, or, or we have a tendency of trying to push through? We have a tendency of striving for more or looking for better opportunities. Or we find ourselves saying things like, I can handle it. I'll figure it out. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to stop for directions. I know how to get there. All the, all the guys in the room just went really quiet. Until you don't. Until you find yourself relating to one of those hard times when they're presented to you again. Maybe it even is worse than that. You find yourself saying, I can't take the pressure. It's just too much. You see, what I've discovered recently is that there are natural pressures of life that we just cannot control. They're going to come at us. But what I've also began to discover when I've started to take stock of my life and the, and the decisions that I make and, and, and the way in which I approach my day and I plan and prepare is that there are some pressures that are self-inflicted. There are some pressures that we actually have control over, but yet when we don't recognize the pressures 
that we self-inflict, what happens is the pressures become so much that we start to look for outlets to release the pressure. And those outlets are not things that are good for us. They do not bring us back to the presence of God. If nothing else, they lead us into a deeper, darker hole, or they happen to lead us into some sort of addiction. Heck, they might even lead us into an inappropriate relationship that can lead nowhere good, I promise you. Which makes me wonder what causes us to do that. What causes us to hold on too long, to try and push through something, to always be striving for more or better, to constantly live with an I can handle it mindset, I'll figure it out on my own, I know what I'm doing, and yet we find ourselves struggling to handle the pressures of life. We struggle to find ourselves handling the, handling the pressures of work, of school. Heck, we even find ourselves struggling to hand, handle the pressures of church, our families, our spouses, a text message from me or a phone call from me sometimes can even feel like a pressure. You're not exactly sure how to handle. I believe that it's in our ability or inability rather to be still. The reason why those things continue to happen or reoccur is because we have an inability to be still. As a matter of fact, I heard somebody recently say this, and I thought it was so profound, and I can't quote him because I can't remember who said it, but I heard it, and I'm not going to claim it until I use it three times. But he says, we, we, have to, we have to learn how to be bored again. Right. We have to learn how to be bored again. Like, it drives me nuts when my kids say I'm bored. Brother, you don't know bored. <laughs> You, you got, you got, you out your mind. I'm bored. You're bored sitting there flipping through Netflix trying to figure out which 100 million show that you're going to watch. You're bored flipping through the Xbox Game Pass trying to figure out which game you're going to download. You're bored because you ran out of people to text or call that probably just waiting for you to call them back anyway. You're bored because you didn't even respond to your mom's text when she said you want to go run some errands and maybe we'll stop and get a treat. You're bored because you haven't learned how to be bored. Maybe what we should say is not learn how to be bored. We need to learn how to be still. Yes. We need to learn how to be still. Our inability to stop, take a step back and take stock of the whole forest. Not just the tree that's holding us back or keeping or continuously tripping us up. You know that one you just keep running into, banging your head up against, and you just keep running into, banging up your head, and you're like, man, why is this tree still in my way? Why is this situation still such a burdensome to me? Because instead of, instead of taking a step back and looking at the whole picture, you keep charging the thing right in front of you, and you're just getting a headache. So let me ask you the big question of the night. When was the last time you were still? When was the last time you were still? Like awkwardly uncomfortable still. Like you wish you were doing anything else but sitting right here, right now in this still quiet moment. When was the last time that happened? Like be honest with yourself. We're not gonna do like a raise of hands, you know, like has it been like a week? Has it been six weeks? Has it been a month? Has it been a year? We're not gonna do that. You just be honest, it's between you and the Lord. That will be the challenge. Well, as I thought about that question, I was reminded of, the story, of this story about a man named Elijah. 
Elijah, let me read this to you, is, a, is just a kind of synopsis of Elijah real quick. Elijah was a prophet to Israel, and he came on the scene after Solomon passed on. And you know King Solomon, considered to be the wisest king ever. And the kingdoms had been divided, and some kings did what was good in the eyes of the Lord, while most did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this is a time where evil was spreading like wildfire. And Elijah is basically brought into the picture to proclaim years of drought. And to eventually pick a fight with the evil King Ahab and his god Baal. Essentially, it became a battle of gods. The god of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. The author and perfecter of life. The one who created the heavens and the earth and everything in between it. Versus the god of Baal, or as described, as the god of fertility. Who was to believed to enable the earth to produce crops and people to produce children. He was also known as the Lord of Rain and Dew, and at times the God of Lightning. Sounds like an identity crisis. And what's interesting to me in this famed showdown, you can read it in 1 Kings 18. You guys still at 1 Kings 19? You're like, you said that a long time ago. <laughs> Just hold on, I told you I'd catch up. This showdown in 1 Kings 18, I'm not going to read it to you, I'm just going to summarize it. Basically, the prophets of Baal, there was about 450 in total, went up against God's chosen man, or Prophet Elijah. It was, the, it was the marquee matchup, it was the main event, this was Saturday night fights, and everybody was around to see this go down. 450 prophets of an idol God versus one chosen man from God. What's interesting to me is that we're challenged to basically a cook-off. <laughs> there was two bulls, and they were each given a bull, and they were to sacrifice the bull, and whichever God came and basically lit the altar on fire would be the God that everyone would believe to be the true God. And that's essentially what happened. And so the balls went first, and they basically set up the bull, and they prepared it, and they did all of this incredible things that they do, and in essence, around what their sacrifice procedure looked like. And, and then they started singing, and they started dancing, and they started doing their ball worship. And I don't know what it really consisted of. I did some studies and some research, and it was kind of weird to be quite honest with you, but most people think that when we come to worship like this is weird, so I can understand that. But nonetheless, when they started cutting themselves and ripping their clothes, that's when you know it's really weird. If anybody starts doing that up in here, we're just going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Because <laughs> that's just weird. That's just weird. And so here you have these guys, and they can't get their God to light the altar on fire, which I find interesting because he's also the God of lightning and the God of water. That'll come back into the story in just a moment. And then Elijah steps up to the plate. Or better yet, the range. And he prays this very simple prayer. In 1 Kings 18 and verse 36, it says this, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. And guess what? When you know it, God provided. He sent fire for the offering and shortly after rain to end the drought. And then the prophets of Baal were killed. And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, how awesome is this? What an incredible testimony of Elijah's faithfulness and God's favor on his life. 
Yet here is what I want to point out in this story specifically. In 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 2, it says this. After Ahab went back to Jezebel and told uh, her what had just happened and what just transpired, <coughs> and that all of the prophets of Baal had been killed, thank you, my wife. <clears throat> it says this, so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Like your life like that of one of the prophets of Baal that had just been killed. She put a hit out on Elijah's life. Jezebel was without question the driving force behind all of King Ahab's decisions and his desire to rid Israel of worshiping God so that they would worship Baal. Obviously, you can imagine that made her a little mad. And so here we find verse 3, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba, Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Verse 5 says, Then he laid down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and then laid down again. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Initially, I wanted to read through to 18, but as I was preparing this, I realized that this was really a two-part two message, and so you'll have to come back for the second part. But before uh, I conclude this part, I wanted to just maybe bring our attention uh, to Elijah's story up to this point. And that we could all possibly agree that Elijah was dealing with some hard times. And as I reflected on the first part of this story, three things happened in the story that I believe will help us learn to be still. Or maybe have a posture of stillness in hard times. The first thing that we read is that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. It's true that Elijah was dealing with immeasurable fear, worry, and pressure. He was scared to death, so he ran. I don't know about you, but I would too. But I thought it to be interesting that just because he was called by God, it doesn't mean that he isn't exempt from going through or dealing with the same kind of hard times, fears, and pressures that maybe you and I are facing today and every yeah. day of our life. In other words, it's a great reminder that it's okay to not be, it's okay to not be okay. But as you've also heard us say, it's just not okay to stay that way. I want to remind you that if you feel like you were living at one point in the greatest days of your life, you were having the greatest impact you've ever had, you were following God as closely as you ever had, you overcame some of the, most, the most immeasurable odds, and yet you found yourself a victor in more ways than you ever thought possible, then in an instant overnight, it felt like it was all stripped away, and you started questioning and doubting, it's okay. It's okay. It's just a beautiful reminder that you do not have to have it all together and you do not have to be yeah. perfect. And Elijah demonstrates that to us so beautifully. And the reason why that's important because it helps us to understand the second thing that I think is important in learning how to be still 
he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Any of you ever said that? I have had enough. I can't take this anymore. I've had enough, Lord. I, I, I've read this so many times, and I used to make the argument that this might have been the first time that somebody considered suicide in, in biblical text. That there might have even been some mental health issues happening here in Eliza's life. And it might still be true. And, I, and I've got a lot more research to really say for certain what was really going on. But I can tell you that the next statement is what really spoke to me specifically. He says, I had had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, and I am no better than my ancestors. What's interesting to me is that even though he ran, it's my belief that he ran to God, not from God. Come on. Because he found a quiet place. Yes. And he got really honest with the Lord, and it says he prayed. He didn't run away from God. He ran to God, and he, he got to a quiet place, and he got really honest with him. It says he prayed. In other words, what he did is he inquired. He asked of the Lord. In other words, he was just simply coming before him and just asking him the question, Have I done everything you've sent me here to do? Have I fulfilled the purpose that you had for my life, or is there more possibly? Maybe instead of worrying about dying, maybe we should just seek the Lord and inquire of what he has for us next. You've got to come back next week to pick up the rest of the story. You see, in your hard times or moments of fear, worry, or doubt, or when pressure is rising and you don't know what else to do, my question to you is, do you run to God or away from him? Do you find a quiet place and get honest with him and pray? Or do you shut him out and run away from him in fear? You see, I've learned in my own life to be still. I need to learn to run to God and pray. I need to run to God and ask. I need to run to God and inquire of him. The third thing that I, I saw in this story that I thought was helpful for us as we learn to be still is then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. He took a nap. He took a nap. Some of y'all know me well. I, I have become more and more in love with naps than I've ever been in my whole life. I used to be the guy that would say without a shadow of a doubt, I will sleep when I'm dead. I used to actually tell people that if it's, if it's green, it's going. If it's red, duck, and just pretend like you didn't see it and keep on going. I've lived that life. I've worn that t-shirt. Let me tell you, I have burnt that thing up. And I believe that Elijah might have found himself to be doing something similar. But yet here we find Elijah running to God, being really honest with him and praying and inquiring of the Lord. And then it just simply says he laid down and he took a nap. And then he woke up and he had a snack. And he drank. And he did it again. He laid down and took another nap. Sometimes all we need is a nap and a snack. That's it. Elijah ran to God. He got honest with him and he prayed. He took a nap and he had a snack. And the angel of the Lord came and he appeared to him and he gave him the kind of food that was going to give him the kind of strength so that he could carry on to the next place where he'd get his next assignment. Can I ask you to stand with me tonight as we get ready to close? When was the last time you took stock of your life and you identified your hard time, acknowledged it, you named it? 
and you ran to God. You got away to a quiet place to pray and to get really honest with him. And after you did, you took a nap. Or better said, as I asked earlier, the big question of the night was, when was the last time you were still? Like really, really still. And before we close here tonight, I just wanted to maybe take a second and, and ask you to just be really brave and honest. As I said at the beginning of this night, that there's some people here that are dealing with some hard times. Or maybe you're asking for a friend. That's fine. The Lord knows your heart. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situation. I just wonder if maybe there's some people here tonight. Just close your eyes. If that's you, you're going through a hard time right now. You're dealing with a difficult time right now. Would you just raise your hands right now to heaven? I know we kind of have this make a move thing, like take your hand out of your pocket, but I'm just going to ask you to get really bold right now. This is like you running to God. This is you getting really honest with him. You're saying, that's me. I'm in full surrender mode. I am in a hard time. I'm dealing with a difficult situation right here, right now. If that's you, just be brave and just say, that's me, Lord. No one's looking. This isn't a judgmental church. I told you earlier, if people look at you sideways, look at them sideways back and ask them why they're not raising their hand because that's a hard time that they're dealing with right now. So, Father, I just pray for every hand that's raised and every hand that wants to be raised. And Father, your Holy Spirit right now would meet them right where they are. You see their hearts, you see their hands, and you see their desire, Father, to just be honest with you. And Father, I pray that you'd start reconciling their heart. I, I pray you start transforming their hearts. I pray that you begin to reveal the hard things that they've been going through and give them the words to speak them with courage and with strength and help them, Father, to learn how to lay them down and let them go and relax in this moment so that you can get to work doing what you do best, bringing healing and clarity and purpose like never before. Father, let this be a moment, us raising our hands, of being still, of relaxing, of letting go and trusting you. Right now, where we are, Father, I pray you'd meet each and every one of us and that we'd experience the healing touch of heaven, the forgiving grace of a son who was willing to pay the ultimate price that we could experience forgiveness like never before. And the first wind of your Holy Spirit that comforts and heals, that reminds us and and maybe even for the first time tells us how much you love us. That you have a plan and a purpose for us. And it's not to be stuck in your hard time. It's not to run away from God. He is not a judging, condemning God. He is a loving and embracing God who wants you to experience the fullness of forgiveness and healing and restoration. So Father, do your best work now. This is our desire to be still so that we can learn to be present. This is our moment of letting go and relaxing, of withdrawing from trying to do it on our own, figuring it out on our own, and trusting you with it. In your name, Father, we pray. Amen and amen. Church, can I challenge you this week? It's going to be a big challenge, but I, I believe you're up for it. I know you're up for it. Would you make room this week to be still? Would you make room this week to be still? To be honest, like really honest with him. Let it all out. Let all of the fear, all of the worry, all of the pain, it may not make sense to you, that's fine, but just let it out. Just 
but you just throw it up. It doesn't all make sense to you. You're like, I don't even need that. I don't even know where that came from. You just got to let it out. Can I challenge you? Can I implore you to get still before the Lord? And be honest with him, like really honest. And let it all out. Tell him how you really feel, what's really going on. He'd rather know that you're mad at him than not know it all. He'd rather know that you're hurting than not know it all. He'd rather know that you're sick than not know it all. He'd rather know that you're broken than not know it all because he can work with that. And then once you do that, will you do me a favor? Would you take a nap? I'm being serious. Take a nap. I'm not talking about like sleep all day long and just lounging for luxury. I'm talking about take a 20-minute nap. Take take a 30-minute nap and just before you lay your head down and you take a nap, say, Lord, I've let it all out. Now meet me right now in this moment as I rest in your presence. And see if an angel of the Lord doesn't come and touch you and feed you and strengthen you and bring healing to your heart and soul and offer you a heavenly snack like you've never experienced before. I'm believing that for you, church. I'm believing that for us, that as we learn to be present, this week we will learn to be still and we'll get really honest with God and we'll share with Him our hurts and our pains, even if it doesn't make sense. And as we do that, we'll take a nap in His presence and we'll be restored, we'll be strengthened so that we can carry on to next week and we can hear what's next for us as we learn to be present. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. So the rest of 1 Kings 19, 8 through 18 is next week. So you got to come back. But do it. Be still. And know that he is God. He loves you that much. I love you that much. No, I can't love you as much as he does. I try. But I do love you. And I'm so proud of you. Together, we're going to be a present church. And God is going to use us in mighty ways to broadcast his marvelous, marvelous works. Amen? Love you, church. We'll see you next Sunday, 445. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Give somebody a hug on your way out.